This is Board Game Squad. The show exclusively dedicated to the world of board gaming. For those who care about the meeple and who understand the sheer pleasure of sitting at a table and enjoying human interaction. Dude, it's your turn. Are you ready to meet our hosts? Here are Adam and Paul. Welcome to the Board Game Squad podcast. I'm your host, Adam. And I am Paul. Today, we're going to be taking a look at a couple of games. I'm going to be talking a little bit about a recent game I acquired called In the Hall of the Mountain King. And I'm going to be talking about an old favorite, Age of Steam. We're also just going to be going over a little bit about what we've been playing recently, since Paul and I actually haven't had a chance to sit down and talk since what early December when we were at PAX Unplugged, right? Well, with the holiday season, but yes. yeah. <laughs> well, what with both of us having kids and mm-hmm. yeah, holidays going around, that's right. You had something you wanted to jump right into yeah, in, the, in the beginning, I think though, we right? Should, we should pick up with our board game icebreakers again for the new year. Oh, yeah. Okay. okay. Hit me. So, all right. So I am going to initiate on the computer thingamabob a random generator. It's going to generate a random letter. It's generating, and the letter is F. What's the first game that comes to mind that starts with the letter F? Friday. Friday. Because freedom and freeze and Fs and 4F spiel. That's a lot of Fs. That's that is kinda, a lot of Fs. The man likes Fs and greens. I don't, I don't, I don't think you could have had a, a more perfect answer. <laughs> I, I could have, well, Friday. yeah, no, I think you're right. I'm okay with my answer. I take it back. I, uh, I'm pretty impressed. That was That was good. Okay. Um, you want to do another one? Yeah, here. I can pull up a random letter generator. Hang okay. on. All right. And your letter is C. Oh, man. Uh, C, C. Castles of Burgundy. Nicely done. All right. Actually, I think we're going to be playing that this this weekend. So my group and I agreed, like... We've we've been playing so many new releases and games that we hadn't played before. We need a throwback evening. So I think on this actually our upcoming game night on Friday, we're going to be doing Castles of Burgundy and like um, Stone Age and a couple of other throwbacks, Small oh, yeah. World stuff like that. You can't go wrong with any of those, right? Well, Small World's the game that got me into board gaming in the first place. So I'm. And I don't think I've played it since, so I'm actually really looking forward to that one. So when you first got into board gaming, your your introduction was Small World, and you haven't played it since? <laughs> Truth, yep. And that was, wow. about, um, that was about 12, 13 years ago at this point. That's, oh, uh, I did horribly, by the way. So You might, you might cry. <laughs> <laughs> we'll play it, and we'll find out. <laughs> um, all right, yeah. You know yeah. what? This is good. Hit me, hit me with another one. You want to do another one? All right. Yeah, we'll do Let's a couple see. more. D. The letter is D. Ooh, uh, Drakenhertz. It's a, um, yeah, hit, right? Deep cuts. Um, oh man, what was the guy's name that made it? Uh, Rudiger Dorn, the, the guy that made Istanbul. Yeah. One of his earlier designs was a card game called Drakenhertz, which I think is just Dragonheart. Um, yeah, it's, it's this cute little card game where, like, you play one down and A, a is able to kill B. B is able to kill C. C is able to kill D. E is able to kill C and A. And it's like this weird uh, kind of pointing system where every card you play is able to take other cards that are on the board. Really clever. Little neat design. It's super light, but my son and I just have a blast with it. Yeah, I'd, I'd never heard of that one. It's a good time. Oh, God, i got to see if I can send my copy over to you so you can try it at some point. <laughs> Well, All right, dr- um, dropping the Deutsch with the right? Drakenhertz. <laughs> Drakenhertz. <Yeah. laughs> I'm um, not gonna lie; I'm actually kind of cheating, looking over at my shelf while we do this. So. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, let me pull up one more for you. Oh, yeah, F. F. Uh, food chain magnet. Oh, that's a good call. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think yours is better than mine. I have some uh, some splatters on the mind. <laughs> Since I handed you that bus review for editing. Yeah, definitely. All right, one more icebreaker, uh, maybe a little bit more fun. Okay. All right, 
pick a historical figure. Oh, that was the question. Yeah, yeah, start, All right. Start, um, pick, a, pick a historical figure. <laughs> Living, uh, dead, doesn't matter. Oh, oh I guess God. historical um, might sure apply. Uh, dead? George Washington. I got nothing. George Washington. Okay. Yep. Now, now pick a board game. First board game that comes to mind. Lignum. 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 Okay. Of course. Okay. Yeah. Now pick another historical figure. Uh, Abraham Lincoln. I don't know why I'm stuck on presidents. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, that's all right. Okay. George Washington is playing Lignum with Abraham Lincoln. Who wins and why? Oh, uh, Lincoln. Why? The- the dude grew up in a log cabin. He knows how to chop wood. He knows about the curing process. He understands the order of operations that you have to go through to, you know, chop it down, cart it over to your sawmill, have it processed. What's going to be worth processing? Yeah, no, full on. The man freed the slaves. He wins. <laughs> uh, George Washington didn't chop down a cherry tree. Um, Told you, history is not my strong suit. Um, no, nor, nor is it mine. That's that's why I'm not a not a war gamer. Um, but George Washington was a general. Fair point. Um, so I feel like that has its share of like technical skills and and strategy associated with it. One would hope so. Yeah. Otherwise, it was just blind luck. All right. Um, this is sort of like a it doesn't work sort of two ways unless you really want to like throw me on the spot and I'll try to like really think of something random. No, I think you've had too much time to sit on this one. Here, I'm just going to throw a random one at you. Um, What one game is one that you've always wanted to play but never had a chance to that I own? I mean, this is sort of the cop-out answer, but you've been been hyping up Lignum so much. (laughs) Um, We're going to rename the show. Yeah, Lignum Podcast. Adam and Paul Um, talk about Lignum. uh, No, I mean, that's, that's... very high on my list right now. I feel like I have to play Adam's favorite board game. That's fair. Lignum's a solid answer. I think you'll enjoy okay. it. Um, okay. <laughs> Moving on to our next segment. What have we been playing? I'll start with you, Adam. So, since the last time we talked, which, again, was early December while we were both at PAX Unplugged, um, had a chance to actually play quite a bit, so I took a lot of the stuff out of the list. I'm just going to run through it kind of faster than I normally do, just to give you a heads up of the variety here second chance from uve rosenberg that's the uh, flip and write one of his yep game called spheres of influence very much a newer edition of risk uh, the estates which i got to introduce to a friend and he had an absolute blast with it so good news there that's always on my recommended list uh card game called mandala that one just came out from lookout spiel a lot of fun little card game two player only fugitive from tim fowers I've also been playing in the Hall of the Mountain King, which I'm going to be talking about at length here a little bit later, so expect a lot on that. A lot to say there. Uh, a game called It's a Wonderful World. This is a Oh, I've been curious release. about this one. Yeah. No, it's actually... It might be my new kind of go-to introduction game for people. Hmm. It very much has the feel of, like, seven... Well, it's, it's, it's a drafting game, so... Think Seven Wonders already out of the gate. Sushi Go, all those kind of games. Lighter rule set, and really some some interesting decisions that you have to make, and planning and timing that you have to very much anticipate. And it was way better than I thought it was going to be, having just kind of heard the rules and talked about it a little bit before playing. So, yeah, if, if you get a chance, definitely check it out. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. We, we also played The Climbers... And I had a chance to finally play Bus a few times. New party stylish game called Wavelength that I got from Kickstarter. We got to talk about this game at some point. That's uh, was it Wolfgang Warsh or uh, yeah. yeah yeah same guy that did um, like The Mind and Quacks at Quedlinburg. You know the the guy that came out of nowhere put out forty games and not a single <laughs> bad one. Yeah, that's that that's dude. pretty accurate. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm fairly certain Wolfgang is a time traveler, and he just stole all these designs, came back to 2017, and said, hey, I'm just going to put out three of these a year. I, I can't remember if it was the, the Spiel des Jahres like, last year or the year before, where it was like, <laughs> Wolfgang Warsh. Versus? Wolfgang Warsh. Versus? Wolfgang um, <laughs> anything else, oh. Adam? Uh, one last one, um, game called King's Dilemma, which, man, I'm I'm falling in love with this one. Tell us a little bit about this. So, 
if you're familiar with any of like the Reigns games from mobile gaming, it's basically a card comes up and you're presented with a scenario. It might be something like, oh, the, the forests to the south have started to burn down and the villagers there are asking for our help. Do we send assistance? And the repercussions might be, well, if we if we say yes and we send help, then our army will go down and our money will go down, but our morale will go up. Alternatively, if we say no, our morale goes down, but our resources increase, or some, some arbitrary thing sometimes. But um, it goes around the table, and it's essentially a negotiation and bidding game. So you have everyone sitting around the table who all have their own personal goals that they're trying to accomplish, and everyone's kind of bartering and, and negotiating and saying, well, I'll pay you if you vote yes, or I'll pay you if you actually pass this round because I don't want you involved, or you know, I'll pay you to add three extra power into your vote to make yours more valuable. And there's a lot of backstabbing that you can do, and it's really cool choices, really cool decisions, and on top of all that, it's actually a legacy-style game. So depending on what you choose... You then go into the box to, and grab the little envelope that it tells you to grab, open that one up, there's three more cards in there. So it's constantly expanding. There's like six different storylines that are all kind of intertwined and going on at the same time. Really, really interesting. Fascinating. So you, you can only play, it's a legacy style game, you can only play it once? Yeah, this is definitely going to be a one and done, which... Some people are going to, you know, raise their nose at, and we can talk about legacy at some point in time. Frankly, I think we should because it's there's a lot to to unpack with that topic. Uh, negotiation and bidding; uh, those are are two mechanics that I, I very much enjoy. So I'm I'm intrigued. It feels like a game of like sidereal confluence, or um, I'm not going to remember the other one that I was just thinking of. <laughs> yeah, Chinatown's actually a really good example. Because there's just, there's a lot of table talk going around where everyone is trying to not backstab, but advance their own agendas, but you're trying to pay everyone else to advance your agenda mm -hmm. so you can come out on top at the end. Like it's, it's really cool. I'm, I'm curious. It's, <laughs> it's a good time. But yeah, that's, um, I, I know I had a lot on there, but that's what I've been paying, playing for, you know, the last month, let's call it. What about you? Yeah, so I've actually not played a whole lot. It, it's been a it's been a busy time for me and my family, but you no, know, I've, I've definitely snuck in some plays. So I'm going to be covering Age of Steam in a bit, but that, that's definitely one that's that's gotten a lot of play. Other than that, we, we've brought back Azul. So, oh, I love that. Yeah, so Azul is a light family weight game. Uh, it, it won the Spill to CRS. Basic concept is you're you're drafting tiles from a center area and placing them in a display in order to score points. If those tiles are either connected horizontally or vertically, and that doesn't sound too exciting, uh, <laughs> but uh, it's actually pretty good. And there's a good amount of competition because if you are forced to draft a tile that you're not able to place, there's negative points distributed to the players so mm -hmm. that makes for a good amount of actually like i don't want to say like take that but definitely like screwing over your opponent um so that's that's probably the best part of azul yeah i think that's my favorite drafting game because the there's like the seven to nine different like coasters out on the table mm -hmm. and on each coaster is four of those little squares that you're that you're grabbing right the, and the, the tiles yeah Exactly. Yep. And so when you decide, well, I'm going to I'm going to pull from coaster number 4 because that has two yellows on it and I really want those yellows. You grab those two yellows. You get to put those on your board. But everything else that was on that coaster goes into that middle bin and that bin becomes a catch-all and it gets more and more enticing as the game goes on, but the first person to pull out of there gets that first player marker, but with first player marker comes negative points. And I just it's such a cool mechanism. It's a it's a good game of the lightweight games that I play, it's 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 a good one. I've been playing a little bit of actually I haven't I've only played it once or twice, uh, and one of them was the the introduction game, the the Funkoverse strategy game. So <laughs> this the Funkoverse strategy game is uh, put out by the the Funko Pop guys. They they purchased Prospero Hall, 
um, and and made a strategy game. It's a it's a little sort of simple skirmish style board game. They incorporate the various IPs that Funko Pop has. Uh, for instance, I have the the Harry Potter base set and uh, sort of like an add-on set that is the Golden Girls, and everyone's sort of <laughs> battling it out. There, there's various scenarios you can take. It is a it is a simple system, but it has a good amount of depth for for you know the serious board gamers. But it's definitely someone who a non gamer can jump into this game and play. Uh, it so seems. Yeah, just like really charming to me. Oh, it's so charming. Um, <laughs> I saw you walking around with it at PAX, and I'm like, oh, I just want to open it. Yeah, yeah. so it's, uh, I'm not going to give my review on it yet. I, I think I haven't, haven't sort of reached a, a real opinion on it, but mm-hmm. it's an interesting one. Going over the small games, so Sprawlopolis. We discussed this a little bit briefly before recording, but Sprawlopolis is a, the publisher is Button Shy Games. Button Shy makes wallet-sized micro-games. So they're all 18 cards. Uh, they fit into little vinyl wallets, and you can carry them in your pocket. And they have all different types. Sprawlopolis is probably one of their, their more well-known titles. It is meant to be played solo or cooperatively. Uh, and the basic concept is you take three cards from the top. They sort of dictate what your scoring goal is. You must meet that score in order to win. Each one of those cards has a unique way of scoring as well, in addition to sort of like the base scoring rules. And then you're sort of laying down these different cards and and creating a city. And you like lose points based on how many roads you create. So you want, you know, you don't want too many different roads and you, your largest sort of area for each different type of building and on top of sort of the unique scoring conditions. It's, It's pretty thinky for what it is. And I, I, I like at least the portability of it. I was more gung-ho about it when I first received it. Uh, I think I like it. I don't know that I love it. <laughs> You're not sure. Yeah. You and I had talked about it briefly at PAX, and you actually I you convinced me to pick up a copy while I was there, which I was happy to Uh-oh. do. Um, no, 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 no. That's it, it was a good thing. Um, be, well, the way you were talking about it, you had mentioned, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here, test your memory, uh, you had mentioned that it was basically somebody's game of the year, 2018, 2019. Yeah. Um, so it was, um, I hope I'm getting this right, but I, I think Mark from the Thoughtful Gamer, he was really ecstatic for, about it. And he, he may have, if memory serves, named it game of the year for its its release, which it right. was sort of you know confounding to call it game of the year was you know a bit surprising. So I, I had to try it after seeing that. Yep. And I I haven't given it a proper playthrough yet. Oh, how can you have an opinion then? But <laughs> I have two opinions in fact. Um so I had I had grabbed it out the other day and I had read through the rules. Actually, I read through the rules when I picked it up at PAX and immediately was kind of falling in love with it. Like you said, you grab out three cards, flip them over. So on the opposite side of their city side is their scoring conditions as well as a little number up in the corner. You add up all those numbers, that's the score you have to get at the end of the game in order to consider yourself a winner. I loved that. That Everything about the game was just very clever. Everything seemed just spot on. Like, yeah, this is just good use of every bit of real estate and every idea you could put on 18 cards with no bits, no components, nothing else. Grabbed it out the other day to actually try to play it and started playing cards down and trying to score points and I got through well at, you end up playing 15 cards total because you take the three out and I got through probably 10 11 cards and I just I didn't care to finish and that's that's on me it was actually not a great time to give it a try I'm gonna end up playing it again to you know really give it a, a fair shake but I, I found myself just not caring part of the way through, and I'm hoping it was more just the state of mind I was in and where I was versus the game itself. But I, I would urge just the tiniest bit of caution on it. Yeah, I, I think I, that's that's fair. I'm still not certain where I stand on it. I was sure. I was definitely more into it when I first got it. Uh, it not game of the year then? Uh, it's it's not my game of the year. Uh, it's a good <laughs> game. It's, it's somebody's it's, game of the year. Yeah, it's 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 maybe feels more like a puzzle than a game mm. just very fair yeah yeah 
I took you way off track. Anything else in the yeah, recent yeah, yeah. plays? I got, list? I, got, I got two more for you. So, um, okay. in a similar vein to Sprawlopolis, we're talking a, another sort of micro game, very good for soloing, Palm Island. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah so, so, Palm Island is it's mostly a solo game, engine building, resource management, doesn't require a table. So it's all played in the palm of your hand, as the title indicates. So it's it's super simple. You have hand cards. You rotate the card to sort of unlock a resource. The engine builds. You're able to use that resource to purchase better resources. In order to purchase better resources, you're either completely rotating a card 180 degrees or flipping it over, and then it's available for you the next round. And then there's you know different cards that allow you to unlock different points, and it's it's not a complicated game at all it's it's amazing the amount of game that you can get into there without requiring a table there's there's a more advanced game that require that has sort of milestones and let's say pseudo legacy components maybe more of a campaign game is is a little bit more accurate yeah Um, because you're unlocking some some more specialized cards that have better benefits to them but in order to do those you kind of have to hit these achievements so you can add them in the following game right so I, I, I love the portability of this. I actually think it's a decent game. I, I, yeah. I like this more than Sprawlopolis, and I, I like keeping it in my pocket when I'm stuck like waiting in a doctor's office or, or something to that effect. Yeah, I'll back you up on that, because same thing. I, I was lucky enough to catch it while it was on Kickstarter. After I got my copy, same thing, going through. It's, it feels like a full Euro conversion game that you literally can just wait in a line and play in your hand. It's wild how how much game is just in these little deck of cards. Yeah, it's 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 really neat. Okay, last one. Mm-hmm. I played this over Thanksgiving actually. This was our our family game and it is Eric Lang's Blood Rage. So I I I played this with my my father who is most definitely not a gamer, my wife and my younger brother. Uh, so it is if you're not familiar, it's, it's a dude on a map area control game with, with card drafting. You can sort of unlock monsters and you have battles and, you know, Ragnarok, the sort of the Norse apocalypse occurs and you you want to die to score points because Vikings are weird. It's it's not that complicated, actually, for, for what it is. I, I definitely prefer his other title, Rising Sun, in the trilogy, but... Blood Rage is a little bit simpler, it's a little bit easier to get people into, and it plays in a shorter amount of time. I think we all had a lot of fun, and I, I'm, I'm hoping that this becomes a holiday tradition. That sounds actually like a great one to start. I wish I could get my family more into gaming. I've tried a couple of times in the past, and it's uh, I've got my mother to actually sit down and play a handful of games with us, but that's about as far as that's gotten. So <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely twisting people's arms to, to sit down and, and play and i they're nice to me let's put it that way uh, that's they humor you yeah, I think they humor me. <laughs> i'm trying to remember if i actually played blood rage or not yeah i, I like the dudes on the map games I, like someone who plays mostly euros that's, right. that's sort of a different genre that that does appeal to me so I've got a couple things to mention for the news. I don't know how actual news were they they were, but when I heard about it, I got super excited. So, first one, I know you don't care, but the long-awaited expansion for the game Targi is coming out in 2020. It's confirmed. Uh, Thames and Cosmos announced it on their Facebook page. The English version is coming out in 2020. We did it, Reddit. We did it. <laughs> Um, I did have this on my list because you know it's it's you know uh, it's it's worth mentioning. Adam loves this game. Oh my god, I do. I despise it. No, you're it's, so wrong. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> Most of the the board gaming community seems to disagree with me. It's it's, yeah. it's well regarded as one of the best two player games out there. Um, and you know this this expansion has you know, it's it's been available in in Europe for a while mm-hmm. and in German but but not in English and, and certainly not in the US and, and you know people are very excited for this. And a lot of people on BGG grabbed the German version of it and they did paste ups for it and they said it was, you know, it's still great. You still want to get it. You still want to buy it and do the paste ups and put all the work in and I just I don't know what it is, but and I got to I have I need to change my mind on this because doing like at home print and plays 
I've seen some of the editions that people come out with, and they're just beautiful. They look better than retail a lot of times. I just... I don't know. I, I've recently acquired some, some print-and-play equipment. I got a laminator, and I got a corner punch. So I'm getting ready to print some games, maybe. Laminator is a good purchase. We've used... Well, my wife has one at work, and we've we've borrowed it a handful of times. So. Yes. <laughs> um. Next on the list, though, I'm sure you caught this one. A lot of BGG has been talking about it, obviously. Uh, Rococo Deluxe Edition coming out from Eagle Griffin Games mm-hmm. this year. They're not even going to Kickstarter with it this time. It's just they're going straight to retail. And it's doing a pre-order system, like a, I don't, yep. not like P500. I think it's just like a straight pre-order. Um, yeah, they they've already committed to um, to actually publishing it. There's no if we get so many people to agree, because and of course it's Eagle Griffin Games. So in tow is Ian O'Toole doing the art for it. Mm-hmm. Which I'm I'm curious to see Rococo redone by Ian O'Toole. I think it's going to be interesting. Part of me still wants like the original edition because I'm just I guess I'm a purist that way. Yeah, we li- we like the beige. <laughs> I do like the beige. You're not wrong. <laughs> No, so Rococo's been out of print for a while. It's it's a highly regarded Euro game. I think there are a lot of people very excited about it. I was pretty excited about it when I heard the announcement. I'm currently beefing with Eagle Griffin games, and I'm I'm undecided what to do. What's going on with you and Eagle Griffin? Oh, are you guys like breaking up I, or the Age of Steam? Okay. Yep. 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 All right. Last one of the news, and people probably knew about this well before I did, but I just saw it today. Res Arcana expansion Lux at Tenebre is coming out. Actually, I believe it's coming out in January or February. So for any of you Thomas Lehman fans out there that loved Res Arcana, you're going to get a little more that you can add into that game and shuffle in. I did not hear about this. That's that's exciting. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed Res Arcana. It, I did it flew too. A little it's... bit under the radar for some reason, but it's it's a fabulous you know engine building game with you know some sort of take that mechanics, and I, I really it, really enjoyed it. It's fascinating because they you basically end up drafting a deck of eight cards, and throughout the game, most of them you're going to throw away for resources, so you only end up playing initially anyway you know, two, maybe three, and then you build this engine in, you know, true, true Thomas Lehman fashion, and it just, it compounds, and it's fascinating to watch. I'm not surprised they, they released an expansion, but that's that's nice to see. It, I was thrilled when I, I actually li- literally just saw it this morning as I was combing through a couple of things. I'm like, I had no idea that was coming out, so I threw it on the list. Again, not terribly newsworthy, but things I was excited about. All right, we got, we got more news for you, though. There's more news. Oh, boy. Um, Capstone Games announces Ride the mm. Rails, the second game in the Iron Rail series. It's I'm re- so stupid, I forgot this. Oh, you're not. We're, we're big fans of Capstone <laughs> Games. I think that Adam and I both pretty much like everything they put out. Um, mostly. Is, mostly. Uh, <laughs> there is... Uh, Ride the Rails is a it's a re-implementation of an old Winsome game, uh, Rail USA, it's going on to their Iron Rail series, so it's accompanying Irish Gage. I'm in for some more train games. Yeah, me too, especially the Iron Rail series, and with them putting it together. Every every production that Capstone has done that has been a reprint of a previous game comes out just drop-dead gorgeous. Yeah, this is, you know, tool artwork. Yep, because this is same the, as uh, the, you know, Irish Gage. Show. <laughs> Again, we just need to rename the show to, sorry for the bad pronunciation, we're going to talk about Eno Tool and companies that we have a beef with. <laughs> it's a little long, but people are going to get the picture when they listen. Yeah, no. Um, so I'm excited for that. My understanding is that the its predecessor, Rail USA, is is actually even lighter than than Paris Connection. So I'm still intrigued. And some sour news. Uh, this is this is breaking this morning. Apparently. Fantasy Flight Games and Fantasy Flight Interactive has laid off a huge amount of their workforce. Um, it seems like most of their RPG department has been laid off. Um, the Fantasy Flight Interactive team is being removed. That is no longer an operating part of Fantasy Flight Games. Uh, and numerous other employees are being let go in a reorganization. Uh, so... Uh, 
a little surprised to see this. They were they were purchased by Asmodee. I, I don't know what the deal is, but if, if you work in board gaming, I'm sure there's some very, very talented people there that are in need of jobs. So, you know, hit up LinkedIn or something. I hadn't heard about this. That's yeah, That sucks. That's terrible. Yeah. Um, I, I, they were doing so well, I'm, I'm a little shocked to see it. But that's what well, happens with these corporate reorganizations. Uh, I wonder if they're just kind of keeping, like, the LCG teams. and yeah, They're probably going to double down on what's what's really selling. Right, which, God, that's, that's a shame. Like, I'm not a giant fan of Fantasy Flight games, typically, but... Some of the stuff they put out, everything they put out is is well produced. I'm I'm going to give them credit where where it's definitely due. I was a fan of a couple of their titles that, like Legacy of Dragonholt, was fascinating, and there was nothing else out on the market like that. Like that's Fancy Flight was really good about finding those little gems here and there too. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of respect for Fantasy Flight games, if, if nothing else. That's. The negative news. Uh, everything else is super positive. Uh, okay. Right. Um, <laughs> Matago Games announces uh, Kemet Blood and Sand. It's a version of Kemet with new art, better miniatures, upgraded gameplay. This is our uh, a very popular dudes on a map game. Uh, and they had just announced a, sort of an update to the, the base, the, the regular Kemet rules that we're supposed to streamline things and, and make it flow a little bit better. So this is really interesting. This is a, is a re-implementation of Kemet uh, due out this year. So is this, because um, I know they just put out another expansion. I think it was Tau Ceti or something yeah. like that. Is this um, is this reworking the rules and including everything from expansions? Is this a standalone game? It, is it... it is a standalone game. It's, it's unclear how closely related it will be to the original Kemet if... Ex- okay. previous expansions will be able to be integrated we just don't know god i haven't played that one in, yeah. in forever yeah, it's, it's a game that I've, I've been wanting to to get so i'll, I'll probably yep. i'll probably wait now and uh, get the new one that's not a bad way to go because from what i recall there were a couple of clunky rules in it that people had problems with but well they were updating the rules it's still too, a fan but... favorite yeah so so like the the rules update was supposed to solve some of that so it's really interesting decision if nothing else Anyway, moving on. Two more things. Elizabeth okay. Hargrave's third board game, second big box game. I don't know if I'm butchering the pronunciation, but it's Mariposa's. It's a butterfly-themed board game to so go along with her bird-themed board game. And it's being put out by AEG. The mechanics that the description notes are movement points and set collection. So, you know, Wingspan, obviously a very popular game put out by mm-hmm. Stonemaier Games selling like hot cakes i'm very curious to see what this brings it looks really pretty i just pulled it up on uh pgg butterflies adam yeah i mean what's not to like there that and i couldn't remember what her other her third design was that was the uh tussie mussy game which i never actually had a chance to play but i heard people enjoyed it so yeah it's pretty good last one keyforge Mm -hmm. if anyone is a fan of keyforge keyforge is getting a book uh, so it's being called Tales from the Crucible, a Keyforge Anthology. Uh, so it's going to detail all the weird lore of the alien races and the worlds that they come from that are found within the card game. All right. Should we get into our next segment? Adam, yeah. do you want to kick this off? I can, sure. Let's do that. So uh, I teased it a little bit up front, but I'm going to be talking about a game called In the Hall of the Mountain King. It's a uh, one-to-five player game published by Burnt Island Games and designed by, and I'm going to get the names mispronounced terribly, I apologize up front, uh, Jay Cormier and Graeme Jans. So the game itself is, the theming of it is there's a picture of a mountain and trolls used to live in it. They were actually forcibly ejected you're actually playing the role of different tribes of trolls and they're trying to take their mountain back. So you end up starting from the outside of the mountain and trying to dig tunnels into the mountain. Along the way, you are trying to dig your tunnels in such a way so that you meet up with the ancient statues of the prior troll kings and lords and things like that. And you're trying to put them back up on their pedestals. You're trying to bring them in more toward the center of the caves so that, or sorry, center of the mountain making them more valuable for some reason, but 
points are points. So <laughs> we've played it a handful of times, and man, it's it's a ton of fun every single time we play it. This was a game that I was, I was actually pretty curious about when it was on Kickstarter. Burnt Island Games also put out Endeavor Age of Sail, so there's yep. there's a you know they have a good pedigree of, of games. I don't I don't I think that's maybe their only other title, or maybe they have one more. It looked pretty cool. The mechanics seemed interesting. Had a awesome title. <laughs> so right. I, was, I was definitely I was definitely pretty interested in it. So same thing. I ended up seeing it while it was on Kickstarter. Took a look through it. Did my usual maneuver of. I'm going to hold off on actually backing this until I'm a little more certain that I actually want it. Waited till like the 48 hour mark. Decided, yeah, you know what? It looks really intriguing. It looks really pretty. I'm going to go all in on it. I actually ended up backing it for the deluxe version. So glad I did. Pretty. Yeah, buddy. So, um, kind of going through it a little bit. Talk about the rule book because whenever you play a new game, that's where you're going to start. So the rulebook itself is really well written. Everything's very clear. It's laid out really well, very readable. It does a really good job of actually just teaching the game, which not enough rulebooks get credit, so I'm trying to make sure I do that whenever I can. It's, um, it is a little bit draconian with the language. It sticks very specifically with the verbiage that it has for, you know, all the components and all the areas on the board. So if somebody does get a hold of this and they want to learn it, probably best to hand the rule book off to your best teacher in your group. I think that's going to kind of give you guys the best experience on it. The book does make the game seem a little more rule heavy than it really is though. It's it's actually very much a mid-weight game, but the rule book will make you think otherwise. Just don't be intimidated by it. So I'm going to be talking about the deluxe version, like I said, because the uh, it's one I have in front of me. <laughs> For the board itself, a uh, lot of really nice art on it, very clear. There's no second-guessing, like, well, what is this icon? Is there a difference between this space and this space? Everything just makes sense. Throughout the game, you're going to be grabbing these polyomino tiles and placing them down as your tunnels that you're building. As you cover anything on the board with those polyomino tiles, you're going to gain those as resources, unless it's a statue, in which case, basically, you just end up having access to that statue. And you're going to have certain resources later on that'll let you move those into different caverns or even onto pedestals, which will basically double their score, which is awesome. Let me ask you about the polyominoes in this game. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a little polyomino shy. Are we talking uh, a Feast for Odin type polyominoes where, yeah, you sort of have to move things around, but it, it it's it's not that challenging, like you'll figure it out? Or is, is it like you need super good spatial awareness? So it's it's going to be a little bit of both. So for, they're, they're a little bit bigger than the Feast for Odin ones. They're, think about like the size polyominoes that came with like patchwork. And then... There's a couple of different strategies you can go into this game with. When you're laying your tunnels, you can do it in such a way that it leads from your entrance, which is toward the outside of the mountain, directly toward the center. And the purpose behind that would be to move as many statues as you can from the outside toward the center, because that's where they're going to be most valuable. The other strategy you can go with, though, is instead of building a line with all those polyominoes, just kind of one next to the next to the, to the next, you can do that kind of Tetris puzzle that everyone likes to do with polyominoes and group them together in large chunks. If you can do that, there's these other tiles called Great Halls, where if you've built like a solid uh, three by four rectangle with no gaps in it, then you can just for free grab one of those Great Halls, slap it down over that space, and suddenly you've earned yourself whatever it is, 15, 20 victory points. Really, it's going to come down to how do you actually want to play? Do you want to just kind of lay those wherever so that you can you know, grab whatever resources or move statues? Or do you actually want to play Tetris, put them all into a big lump, and get the biggest great haul you can? It's, it's kind of nice that it's up to the player because there's no wrong answer anymore. I see. 
the other main mechanism in this game is how you actually generate goods, which is one of the best versions I've seen in a long, long time. Uh, essentially what happens is you start with four trolls. And think of them down at like the bottom of a little pyramid. They're cards. And all four of them are just lined up down at the bottom of your little play area in front of you. On each one of those are pictures of resources. And anytime they actually generate resources, you put the resource on the picture. As you're going throughout the game, you're spending those resources, so they just come right off the card, go back to the supply. Fantastic. During the game, you can purchase a new troll and place it on top of two trolls below it. So you're actually like tiling them up to build a pyramid. Anytime you place a new troll into your pyramid, that troll gains the resources that are on their card and any other trolls that are below it and fully cascading down to the bottom tier also gain their resources. So if you're starting to picture this, you've got the bottom row that's four, a secondary row that becomes three, a tertiary row that becomes two, and the very top with just the one card. But when you place that very top card toward the end of the game, every single troll ends up generating resources. And it's just this very cool escalation in the game where early on you're getting resources more often, but as the game continues, you're getting resources less frequently, but you're getting more of them at a time. And then you're using those resources to, to get those polyomino tiles and to get other resources that you need for, like, there's so much in this game. Casting spells, uh, setting out pedestals, moving statues. It's, it's intense. That sounds cool. As far as a review review of the game goes, I'm having a blast with it. I'm enjoying it so much more than I really thought I would. I figured we would get the get our copy of it, play it a handful of times, and probably trade it into our local game store and put that money toward another game, but I, I don't see this leaving my collection anytime soon. I'm going to lobby to play this pretty much every chance I get. It's it's climbing my ranks right now. That's, that's awesome. I was just looking up yeah. the... the... The designer to Jay Cormier or Cormier, I don't know how to say his name, but Cormier, also, Cormier. I don't speak uh, French. Yeah, <laughs> responsible. For, apologies for the pronunciation. Yeah. Many apologies. Titles yeah, such right. as Akrotiri, Belfort, which I also own and love. Junk, junk art. It's a solid mm-hmm. designer here. I actually had not looked through his list before, but I am now. Oh, Belfort. Yeah, that Belfort. was one of his. Yeah, which. Oddly enough, uh, yeah, I, I'm getting the 10th anniversary edition as soon as they actually mail it to me. So, But yeah, In the Hall of the Mountain King, if you get the chance, highly recommend. The only issue we had with it was a little bit of downtime in between turns if someone really wanted to sit there and AP and math out their, their most optimal thing, but it was rare that anyone wanted to. I'm going to turn it over to you. You were going to fill us in a little bit on Age of Steam. So I've been playing a lot of Age of Steam, and that's because mm-hmm. Eagle Griffin Games recently, or, or maybe semi-recently, sent Kickstarter backers their copies of the deluxe edition of the game. Now, Age of Steam is an, sort of an older game put out by, by Winsome Games, originally published in 2002. There's actually quite a bit of debate about who the designer is. Martin Wallace is, is often attributed to the game. Although he's, maybe I'm butchering this, but he's, he's refuted that, saying something along the lines that John Borer stole the design and, and published it in its unfinished state. So that's sort of why you have different versions of the game. Like you have a, a game called, not Age of Steam, but Steam and Railways of the World. Steam is given the, the Martin Wallace design name on the box. Age of Steam is, is usually absent of that. Um I know a couple of the boxes came out where no one was attributed as the designer. They just <laughs> published it as Age of Steam. This is good enough. <laughs> it actually says this is good enough. Um, no, but uh, <laughs> so no, no, I don't. The deluxe edition doesn't have a, a designer on it. And actually, I think they settled some of the the you know the copyright trademark issues um, in in the process of the Kickstarter. And there's there's no name on it. Um, but anyway, that was. A little bit of a digression, and uh, but there, there's some crazy history behind the game. Uh, getting a little bit more into it, um, people often refer to Age of Steam as more of a system than a game itself. Uh, 
why is that? Because there's there's more than a hundred different maps released for Age of Steam. Each one of those maps is its own sort of self-contained game with you know some similarly related rules. Um, there's a, its own strategies based on the layout of those those maps, as well as they usually have you know a variation of the base rule set. So it, they they really play very differently from one another, and you know each one is sort of its own version of Age of Steam, almost like an expansion or reimplementation of of the game. There's uh if, if you're looking to get into this this huge wide world of Age of Steam, it's a cube rail style train game. The main mechanics are pick up and deliver and auctions. So every round you're going to bid on turn order. And then based on turn order, you're able to select which special power you get in the game. The special powers sort of break the, the main rules in some way. Like they allow you to lay an extra track or allow you to increase your movements in the game. Um, various different things. Um then you sort of optionally take on debt. And by optionally, I, that you, <laughs> it's a Martin Wallace game. Wallace Pretty game. Much you, you're taking yeah. on a lot of debt. Um, <laughs> in order to do anything in the game, you're constantly taking on debt. Um, and it's it's really hard. You don't pay it back. Uh, it just, your debt grows and grows and grows. There's no way to pay it back. Uh, you're just sort of accumulating debt until you're finally making enough money to that the debt doesn't matter anymore. Um, that does sound like a Martin Wallace. It's a Martin Wallace game. game. <laughs> um, so, so other than that, you're you're building track, and then the pick up and deliver element is there's various cubes on the map, and you have to deliver them across those track that you've built to a like colored city. Um, so again, each map is sort of laid out differently, has its own set of rules, and it's pretty awesome in terms of rules overhead. It's pretty simple there's it's it's not a complicated rule set but the strategic depth is is enormous there's tons of player interaction it's it's definitely a favorite game of mine yeah i'm kind of bummed i've i've never actually had a chance to play it and i know that this is so up my alley but it's also one of those paths that i'm afraid to go down because i'll end up being that person that gets you know every single map and that's fine (laughs) Well, most of them are out of print or or print and plays, so or obscenely expensive because you know they're they're very old. So so it, it, it sort of will stop you from doing it based on that. But uh, yeah, so I've been playing it a lot more lately, and that's because Eagle Griffin Games delivered the, the deluxe edition, and again, Eno Tool artwork. <laughs> this is the, uh, the Eno Tool uh, show. Um, very that. very pretty. Uh, um, yeah. So, do you I, like Ian O'Toole? He's kind of alright. He's alright. Yeah, it's fine. Um, <laughs> we we sound like fanboys at a certain point. It's he does great work, and I like his work. I just I can't believe how often he actually comes up on the show. Yeah, it's it's not just the you know the quality of his art, but he he tends to associate himself with with projects that I, I think very align true. very well with my my game tastes. Yep. And I think that's because, you know, he plays games himself and, you know, th- these are the games he likes and, you know, he has glued himself to Vital Acerta and, and all these other, you know, games that I, I, I really enjoy. Um, so and I brought you off track again. No, that's all good. So the, the Deluxe Edition was actually, you know, it was very pretty, looks very nice on the table, but there was written with, with printing errors, which was disconcerting to say the least uh we're talking about a deluxe edition right this is sort of like the ultimate edition of of age of steam it's the deluxe edition and it right. just just is it's it's full of of printing errors and it was is probably the most messed up game i've ever received in terms of, of printing errors oh no um, i didn't realize that yeah yeah and and i, I mentioned sort of i i might have some beef with equal griffin games that's making me rethink you know rococo and and maybe the the reprinting of kanban but um i don't i don't know how to feel about this moving forward um they're they're, just just to go over it so the 
deluxe edition came with several maps. I think it was like three maps, and then with the stretch goals, it was it was maybe like five double sided maps. So a lot of maps. Um, on the Western U.S. map, there is a uh, in Age of Steam. Sometimes there are pre-printed cities on the map. Other times you, you have to actually add a city to the map. But on the Western U.S. map, there is a hex that's printed on the map. Denver, that should be a different color than what was printed on it. Uh, which, as you can imagine, when you're delivering cubes of a certain color to a certain color, that definitely impacts the game quite a bit. Um, more minor things, there, several of the maps had spelling discrepancies. Uh, there, in the on the German map, you had sort of mixed spellings. It would it would go from like the German spelling to the more Americanized spelling, which is it's minor, doesn't affect the gameplay. But again, we're we're talking about a deluxe edition consistency. Yeah, yeah. and it's it's kind of just like annoying to see. Um, it came with sort of miniature poker chips. The poker chips have you know, values printed on them. They've they've been rubbing off in your hands like like M and M's. It's kind of upsetting. Um, and then there, there's another rule uh, in Age of Steam, income reduction. So as your your income increases, um, every round of the game, it also reduces based on how far up on the income track you are. So if you're like, you know, from like 11 to like 20, it, it goes down by two every round. But as you mm-hmm. get up to like 50, it's going down by like 10 every round. Um, so printed on that board with the income reduction, uh, it's different than it is in the previous editions and it's different than it is in the rule book. So, uh, they originally cited this as a printing error because it was different than the last edition. Um, and then in the last Kickstarter update, they're like, JK, we checked with the designer and by the way, which designer? We don't. We don't know because right. there's, there's, Age of Steam has no designer, right? Um, and it's right, yet it it's different than the previous edition. <laughs> so, like, what's what's the deal with that? I actually posted on BGG about this, and people uh, were very forthcoming, and they said that pretty much every edition that was ever released of Age of Steam has had this be inconsistent. The values are slightly different from one edition to the other. Uh, so the deluxe edition is no different. But, you know, the third edition, the previous edition, was sort of like the edition for a while. So I think you should have some consistency for the for the previous edition because that's the one that people have been right. playing. Uh, so that was, they're already coming into it yeah, with, with yeah. that mindset and that rule set, and they just wanted the, the fancy deluxe edition. So Yeah, so it's frustrating. I'm, I'm not super happy as a backer. Uh, but as much as that upsets me, it, it doesn't take away from my love of this game. Age of Steam is most definitely, it, it's it's in my top 10 games, um, and there's so much I love about it. So from a, from a recommendation point, obviously you would say, yes, play Age of Steam any chance you get. Yeah, play, play Age of Steam. <laughs> um, for, for air quotes, someone you know, not one of us who might be considering purchasing this game, would you recommend the Eagle Griffin version or go in search of prior editions? It's, it's a tough call. Um, <laughs> I, I will say this. Sure. The, the previous editions are, they're ugly. They're real ugly. Um, that's never been an issue. No, no, I mean... As long as the game stands on its own two feet, then... Yeah. Uh, I mean, rarely been is, an issue for me. This is this is uglier than you might be used to. Those oh no, <laughs> those, those old those old winsome titles are they a lot of them. Man, there's there's an aesthetic to them that is. I love the games, but they are gross looking. Right, highly functional. That's but fair. Gross. Great rule sets, yeah, yeah. functional, like you say, but um, so. The new edition, they're releasing some corrections to it. There's, like, decals to go on. I, I think they're reprinting one of the maps with caveats. Uh, and I, I don't know if they, in, in future versions of the Deluxe Edition, if some of these things will be fixed. So it's sort of up to you. It's That's such a... Tr- 
I don't know if it's a trend lately or if I'm just noticing it more nowadays, but publishers, it feels like rushing to to print and then errata coming out and mistakes with with artwork and with graphic design rule sets entirely some days. I just I man, I wish that they could just slow down the tiniest bit and put it out the way it's intended. Because, yeah, BGG is available, and we can find rules clarification and things like that all day, and great resources for errata, and we can print out our own. But at the same time, I don't I don't want to have to do that. And that's just me being very selfish. I get that, but it it's a pipe dream. No, no, I'm, I agree 100%. I, I don't know of another industry where they... They print something substantial, and that it's you know it has all different errors and misspellings, and looks like they they, they needed an editor, and you know they they didn't you know I don't know they didn't hire one or I don't know what it is, but all at a premium price tag too. Yeah, I don't, I, very very unique thing. I don't know anything that quite compares to it. In an industry where the people that are actually working on the game and creating it and doing graphic design and editing and all that kind of stuff get paid typically like 70% than anyone else in another industry doing the same work. Like, it's it's baffling. Board gaming is such a labor of love, and it really shows through in situations like this. And, I mean, kudos to the people that are putting out these products and and publishing and going through all the rigorous work. It genuinely it is appreciated. We just happen to be on the topic of some mistakes. <laughs> Absolutely and I actually want to I want to get some industry people in to talk about the business mm-hmm. and and logistics of board gaming at some point. So that's I'd love that's, to be able to do that. That's yeah. on the horizon. Just because I've been playing a lot of of Age of Steam, I just want to talk a little bit more about the game beyond sort sure. of my, my gripes with with my my copy of it. So I, I love auctions. So the the auction of Age of Steam is is awesome. It's 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 one of my favorite mechanics. Um, anything with an auction is is immediately better because this is such a pure mechanic. You know, like people know auctions. It goes back to I don't know like ancient greece it's it's intuitive it's it's a competitive it's intrinsic with childhood too even like sitting at the cafeteria lunch table like well i'll give you you know this out of my lunch bag for your twinkie and the next kid says oh i'll I'll double down i'll give you this and this for the twinkie and immediately like it just becomes that mechanism and we live with that it's very basal to humans so i i love anything with 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 auctions and you know, Age of Steam has that auction, but it's 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 part of a bigger game. So you're bidding on player order. Player order matters a lot. It's very easy to screw over your opponent, take a cube that they wanted, cut off a path that they needed when you're building routes, stealing a power they were hoping for. Uh, so it is a conflict-heavy game. And then I, I mentioned sort of the, the income reduction. That's, I think, super interesting. You can use that to mess with your opponents. So you your income goes up whenever you deliver along a route. And sometimes you can go over, say, your your opponent's routes to make a delivery. And if you do, their income goes up. So you can sort of systematically go over your opponent's route and then force them to go into a higher income reduction threshold. And then they lose more points than they earned that round. And it's super frustrating. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> So definitely a lot of conflict. Um, the route building, the cube delivery, the economy, it, it's a super crunchy game. Definitely a lot of things to be considering. Almost want to take out a calculator sometimes. It's not that bad. And that's that's especially the case towards the end of the game. In terms of the, the maps that I've been playing, sort of like the base map is called the Rust Belt map. Haven't, haven't had the opportunity to pull that out. That's really designed for four to five players. What I've been playing is the Barbados map, which is a solo map, actually. And I was—I'd never played this before, and I was surprised. It's—it's—it's it's, it's a satisfying solo game. It, it is—it's definitely more of like a, a puzzle. You're trying to optimize your points and score as much as possible, and and beat that score. And it—it it works. Obviously, there's no auction or or player interaction, but it's a satisfactory puzzle. 
I wouldn't have expected to hear was just as good solo. That's I don't know if it's just as good, but it's well, <laughs> it's definitely not bad. Fair. Uh, but it's and enjoy- enjoying. Well, it. and I I've tried to play games solo a handful of times. There's a couple more on my list that I still want to try, but I have yet to find a game I genuinely enjoy solo that wasn't designed as a solo game. I'll put that little caveat on it. There, there's there's a good number that I enjoy. I, I've sort of been forced to play more and more solo games, given the, the birth of my my children and sort of my my setup. But um, for solo games, it's it's kind of okay. We could talk about solo games maybe in another episode. That would be a good idea. Yeah, you can try to convince me that it's worth my time. Eh, I don't know. With Age of Steam, though, how how long is a single session? Because I feel like it's such a big game, like it's it might run two hours. Am I way off on this? Yeah, I, mean, I feel like it's... Uh, I mean, it depends who you're playing with, how many players you're playing with, which map you're playing with, familiarity. Um, those, those solo maps are running super quick. For like, I feel like they're like at an hour or less. It sort of depends on the opposite side of the Barbados map in the Deluxe Edition is the St. Lucia map, which is the two-player optimized map. And it's it's a quirky map, definitely not standard. So on in Saint Lucia, so there's sort of all the cubes are already laid out on the map, which is not true of of base age of Steam. They sort of come out later on, and there's no cities on the board to start, and you have to put the cities down. And it's just sort of this game that's designed for a push and pull between all the players. And it's I don't know that it's my favorite map. But it's <laughs> it's enjoyable as a two player game, which is most I feel like cube rail games are are not playable at two players. Like you know you can't play Irish Gage at two players, right? Oh, Wouldn't people work. have tried. There's forums on BGG for two player rules for it. I, I, I wouldn't guarantee. I, I can pass on that. But th- 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 <laughs> this makes it getting work. the best experience out of that. <laughs> right. This makes it work at, as a two player game. Actually, these uh both the St. Lucia and Barbados map were designed by, uh, I don't know, I'm probably messing up his name again, uh, T- Ted Auspatch. So he's the, the guy who designed uh, Castles of the Mad Queen Woodwig, uh, Suburbia, yep, okay. One Night Ultimate Werewolf. He founded uh, Bezier Games. And he, he started his career making Age of Steam maps. So that's a piece of board game trivia. The other map I had the opportunity to play was the Germany map. Uh, so Germany is optimized for four to six players, and I had, I took on playing a six-player game with all people that had never played the game before, and it was brutal. Um, <laughs> the way the map works is there's these sort of static hubs around the edge of the map, and it's really expensive to build track near them, and those hubs only receive cubes. They can't deliver cubes. Uh, so it's, it's an interesting experience. It's, I, I probably would not play it with people that were not familiar with the game before, and although the consensus is that it plays well at six, I'd, I'd probably want a lower player count. Unless you're like starting early in the day and you just want to do that marathon, yeah, then, <laughs> we'll play, then we'll go maybe for I'll it. play an 18xx games if that's the case. Um, so, yeah. In summary, if, if you like train games, if you like punishing economic games with route building, a very expandable game, then I definitely recommend checking out Age of Steam. Up to you if you get the deluxe edition or not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to end up picking your brain on that more because I, uh, it, it's on my list next in line, basically, to be bought. So I, I think Age of Steam has but, some um, vassal modules, so maybe we'll put a game together and give it a shot on the oh, There you go. Yeah. That would be really smart because then I can actually figure out if it's definitely going to be in my collection or not. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I think we're going to close it off there. We've gone past the time that we typically like to stay within, so we're going to close it off here, friends. That being said, go head over to our website, boardgamesquad.com. Paul just put up a review of Anachrony, which is phenomenal. My first ever written review of a board game, my first ever piece of writing in like the last 20 years. That's going to be up on the website in the next few days, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, Paul, anything you want to plug? No, that's all we have for today. Just remember to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, whatever podcast platform that you use. Head over to boardgamesquad.com slash podcast. 
And thank you so much for listening. Tell your friends, and of course, we hope one day we all get free shipping. All right. <laughs> Thanks for playing. Please subscribe so you don't miss the next edition of Board Game Squad. It's boardgamesquad.com slash podcast. I said subscribe. I'm waiting. Seriously? On behalf of Adam and Paul, thanks for tuning in. My name is not important. At least to Adam and Paul. Dude, it's your turn. <laughs> <laughs>